0: Just what you've been waiting for. Movies, TV, music, and more. Follow subscribe, stay up to date. Episodes dropping on Mondays. Is the man, is the man, watch that. Is the man, is the man, watch that. Is the man, is the, the, the man, watch that. Oh, I can't. How a doodle and welcome to the Matt Watch That podcast. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to review a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, I wanted to talk about Manhattan. It's not for everyone. You really need to have a chip on your shoulder to survive the daily grind. For a while, I had no desire to associate with New York City. I was fine with our long-distance relationship. But I switched jobs and started commuting into Manhattan. It was a bit of an adjustment, and for the first few months, my main goal was to get the hell out of there as fast as possible. But little by little, I started to come around on the city that never sleeps. During lunch breaks, I would walk around Times Square and explore the surrounding neighborhoods. I began taking advantage of the amenities that the city had to offer. I've been to local productions, but nothing compares to seeing a musical on Broadway. I'm still waiting on my Hamilton tickets, but I was fortunate enough to see School of Rock, Waitress, Matilda, Groundhog Day, Fun Home, Book of Mormon, just to name a few. I started taking acting seminars and tap dance classes, met a lot of cool people who I wanted to hang out with more, but I had to catch that train back home, and if you miss the last one, you're sleeping at Penn Station. At one point, I probably would have lived in Manhattan, but I just couldn't justify spending half a million dollars on 400 square feet with 1,300 in monthly maintenance fees. I mean, I want to retire one day. And it's especially unpleasant on garbage pickup days during the summer. That sour milk smell is tough to get out of your nostril cavities. But since I've been cooped up during the pandemic, there is part of me that misses Manhattan. I guess our Facebook status would be, it's complicated. (laughs) On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of 5 stars. 1 star is Skip It, 2 stars is Watch at Your Own Risk, 3 stars is Standard Fair, 4 stars Worth Checking Out, 5 stars, Must See. Now if I give a title 5 stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. I'll keep the spoilers to a minimum, tangents to a maximum. These are my ruminations and observations of the movie Barefoot in the Park, about a newlywed couple who move into a five-story walk-up apartment in Manhattan, where their relationship is tested in the most comedic of ways. The film was directed by Gene Sachs, who also helmed The Odd Couple, Mame, and Brighton Beach Memoirs. Fun fact, he was married to B. Arthur for almost 30 years. Gene and B. I couldn't think of any older, old-timey names. Those names shout shredded wheat and chamomile. I would have hated to get into an argument with B, and she gives you that Dorothy Zabornak stare. Chills. Just chills. Anyway, the screenplay was written by Neil Simon. It's almost easier to list the plays that people wouldn't know, but his credits include The Odd Couple, Promises Promises, Biloxi Blues, The Sunshine Boys, Lost in Yonkers. Um, he was quite successful. Barefoot in the Park was originally a play that premiered on Broadway in 1963. The movie starts out with newlyweds Corey and Paul Bratter enjoying a horse-drawn carriage ride through Manhattan. The couple is played by Jane Fonda and Robert Redford. I don't think you could have gotten two more attractive people in these roles at that time. This was their third collaboration. Both made their feature film debuts in the 1960 comedy Tall Story, though Redford appears uncredited. They starred in the crime thriller The Chase alongside Marlon Brando. Jane Fonda is known for her Best Actress Academy Award winning performances in Coming Home and Clute. She appeared in The China Syndrome, Julia, and On Golden Pond, which also starred her father Henry. Robert Redford is the legendary producer, actor, and director whose movie roles include The Natural. All the president's men, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, which is the namesake of the Sundance Film Festival, and was the Academy Award winner for Best Director of Ordinary People. Surprising to know he's never won an Academy Award for acting. That was just something I assume based on all of his great performances. Fonda and Redford's chemistry is apparent during their first moments on screen. The Bratters check into a hotel for a few days of zippity doo dah. They are clearly in love. After five days of the hokey pokey. Paul leaves the hotel for work, and as he steps into a packed elevator, Corey says, Thanks, Mr. Dooley. Next time you're in New York, call me up. This is one of my favorite things to do. I am the type of person that says something embarrassing to my friends as they enter the elevator. You should really get that checked out, Jim. Could be contagious. And you watch as the elevator doors close on his increasingly red face. So Corey goes to their apartment and walks up the five flights. It's an odd configuration, but a quasi-realistic portrayal of Manhattan property for a young couple. It's not like the massive spaces you see on Friends. Immediately, the problems start to amass. The furniture hasn't arrived, they have snoopy neighbors, the steam heat has an issue, and there's a broken window in the rooftop with snow in the immediate forecast. To top it off, her mother, Ethel Banks, comes for a surprise visit. She's portrayed by Mildred Natwick. She received an Oscar nomination for Best Actress in a Supporting Role for this performance, deservedly so. Paul and Corey meet some of their neighbors, including Victor Velasco, who's played by veteran French-American actor Charles Boyer. The character is a little eccentric and a bit of a flirt, but I'm gonna give it a chance. Damn, I really want to see Hamilton. Corey has the idea of setting him up with her mother, so the four of them decide to go out to dinner. It's at this gathering that the fabric of the bradders' relationship starts to fray. Corey is outgoing, passionate, and boisterous, whereas Paul is reserved, stiff, and quiet. They begin to wonder if they have anything in common. They really try and hit on this opposites attract notes pretty hard that I expected Paula Abdul to show up with MC Scatcat. I really enjoyed this film and missed these types of lighthearted fare. Robert Redford, Mildred Natwick, and Herb Edelman, who played the phone repairman, were in the Broadway play together and reprised their roles. The acting is well done. There are elements of the film that make it feel a bit dated, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. You just have to put yourself in that mindset. People who watch films from the 40s, 50s, and 60s expecting it to have the sensibilities and sensitivities of today isn't going to have a good time viewing any of these older movies. But aside from some of those aspects, I think the jokes hold up especially well. Funny is funny. The direction by Gene Sacks was fairly straightforward, Nothing fancy, the movie was shot like a play with long takes, allowing the actors to get into the groove of a scene. The majority of the action takes place within the apartment, but it never feels monotonous or boring, because the dialogue is quick and crisp, and the performances are solid, keeping up the interest. The score was composed by Neil Hefty, which is an amazing last name. All Batman fans owe this man a debt of gratitude, because he wrote the acclaimed theme song from the 1966 TV series. Y'all know it. Even non-Batman fans know to sing along to na 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 Batman. He also wrote the music for The Odd Couple, Sex and the Single Girl, and Duel at Diablo. The orchestrations feel appropriately 60s and works in the context of the picture. He used instrumentation for comedic effects as well. Every time a person struggled to scale a flight of stairs in the five-story walk-up, it was accompanied by like a xylophone-type thing. The runtime is one hour and forty-six minutes. It had a budget of two million and made thirty million at the box office in 1967, which, with inflation, is probably about one point seven billion of today. Right? I might be off just a scotch. Ultimately, the movie comes down to public displays of affection, do not disturb, chicken of the sea, more stairs, interesting complications, matchmaker, uzos, kimonos. And getting panicky. I give it 4 out of 5 stars. Add half a star if you remember 15 second end credits. If you've seen Barefoot in the Park and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. Moving right along. Each episode I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there will be a playlist called Matt, watch that, playback. I wanted to share with the listening audience some of my favorite dogs on social media. I've always had animals around me growing up, dogs, cats, hamsters, fish, but I never had a pet of my own. I don't count the crayfish I had in third grade or the saltwater aquarium starter kit. I mean, they're fun to watch, but after seven minutes of staring at them floating through the little plastic castle, I was pretty much over it. Plus, fish are crap at playing fetch. I always wanted to have a pet and would have had one already if I was a little more selfish. It's mostly because when I was commuting into Manhattan pre-pandemic, I would be out of the house for up to 12 hours, and it's just not fair to leave a pet alone for that long. They are social animals and need that attention, and I wasn't going to hire a pet sitter to do the job that I should be doing, so I live vicariously through YouTube videos. The first videos will feature Tucker, a Golden Retriever who has the funniest facial expressions. Could be one of the cutest dogs I've ever seen. My grandparents had a Golden who was a retired show dog, and she was a lot of fun, but definitely not as goofy as Tucker. She was more uh, primed and proper. I'll post My Dog Does Weird Things Part 2 and one of his Tucker taste tests. The next is Walter the Frenchie. I'd always wanted a French Bulldog because they're really easy to maintain, especially if you're a busy dog owner. But this Frenchie makes me rethink all of that, because he is prone to having meltdowns, which includes incessant wailing. It's hysterical to watch, but mostly because I don't have to deal with it. But you can sense when he's going to explode, and it's really funny. I'll post Walter Breaks' his all-time meltdown record. Last is Oliver the Beagle. They could be some of my favorite dogs. I've never met a beagle I didn't like, and who doesn't love Snoopy? They're a good size, lower care maintenance, though they need plenty of exercise and they can be a bit barky, but that's what they're bred to do. I'll post two videos entitled, 18 Sounds a Beagle Makes, and How Fast Can a Beagle Find Hidden Treats? All of these videos can be found in the Matt Watch That Playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. <laughs> Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about Atypical. I came across this show late one night on Netflix. I never heard of it. I didn't know a thing about it. It felt like I would be asleep within a half hour and needed something to bridge that gap. It started autoplaying and I thought, all right, let's stick with this. It's a coming-of-age story about an 18-year-old boy named Sam who is on the autistic spectrum and his desire to become more independent. This affects the dynamics of the family, especially with the mother Elsa, because her existence has been defined around his needs. The series was created by Rabia Rashid, who was a producer on The Goldbergs and How I Met Your Mother. The cast features Jennifer Jason Leigh from Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Single White Female as Elsa. Her husband is played by Michael Rappaport, who's best known for Boston Public, Beautiful Girls, and his video rants. The family is rounded out by Bridget Lundy-Payne, who portrays sister Casey, and Keir Gilchrist, who plays Sam. The supporting characters are just as strong and important to the story, which includes his therapist Julia, Zahid, a co-worker and best friend to Sam, and Evan, Casey's boyfriend. I got invested pretty quickly in the show and these characters, It has some funny moments, but it's mostly a half-hour drama, and there is plenty of drama to the point where I feel bad for all of them. I just wish everything works out well for the family and friends. Representation is important, and there was some criticism of season 1 because there was a lack of autistic actors. This was rectified in season 2 and 3, where more actors on the spectrum were included in the storylines. I think the show accurately reflects how families are, When you look at sitcoms of the 80s and 90s, everything resolved itself within 30 minutes and it was very saccharine, but with this series, you can tell that they love each other as much as they're frustrated with each other, and let's be honest, that's family. Atypical has been on three seasons, 28 episodes. The series was renewed for a fourth and final season, which will be available on Netflix in 2021. That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. I do plan on having an interactive element, but I need those listeners. So follow, subscribe, like, and spread the word. Until next time, I guess you won't be needing me anymore. Goodbye. I mean, they're fun to watch, but after seven minutes of staring at them floating through the political plebiscus ho 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 ho. I am a mush mouth. It's a coming-of-age story about an 18-year-old boy named Sam, who is on the autistic spectrum, and his desire to become more expendable. More expendable. Oh my god, that's awful. <laughs> I started taking acting seminars and t- and TF dance classes. All of a sudden, I'm from Minnesota. This affects the dynamics of the family, especially with the mother, Eltha. <laughs> I'm having a hard time today. <laughs> Ha, <laughs> ha,